Or this word breathing here, we just breathe out all that stuff, all the all the dark stuff, all the stuff that frustrates us, all the stuff that uh, is a burden to us, Lord. We breathe out uh, poverty, disease, loneliness, confusion, and we breathe in clarity, your word, your Holy Spirit, the spirit of your son. There is nothing broken in our lives, Lord, that you can't fix. There's nothing that's incurable. There's no confusion that you can't guide us out of. It's okay to lament. It's okay to mourn, Lord, but you're going to transform that into dancing and ashes into beauty. We pray all this in Jesus' name, the great transformer. Amen. Have a seat, everybody. Just a couple things. We're at 1 Timothy. Get your Bibles out. We're at 1 Timothy 3. Please turn to that. We're taking a journey through the Timothys. And I have never done that before, which is interesting, but I'm really enjoying it. A couple quick things. Pray for a young woman named Sarah. I'm not going to mention her last name because we're on the Internet here. But uh, she is struggling with um, a uterine challenge. You're going to the doctor this week. It sounds fairly serious. So please pray for Sarah. And on a lighter note, we're having lunch after church, and we hope you'll join us. And we're meeting at some Belly Deli place. What's it called? Beach Hut Deli. Beach Hut Deli, not Belly Deli. Beach, Beach Hut Deli. Okay, I, I heard it wrong. Beach Hut Deli. You'll have to find it yourself. You're all welcome to join us for lunch afterwards. It's a lot of fun to do that. First Timothy. The Apostle Paul is sending Timothy, smoked jumping, into Ephesus. Ephesus is a mess. And Paul can't be everywhere at once. He's leading a whole bunch of churches, and he sends his number one assistant, number one associate, into Ephesus to take care of the problems that are there. And the whole book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is all about encouraging him and telling him how best to handle these people because they're difficult. And they've got egos and everything else, a lot of, uh, a lot of dysfunction. And so he's being sent into the smokes, the smoky fires there. And uh, Paul is saying, you can do this. You have what it takes. It's also Reformation Day. As Pastor Tabra mentioned, this is the 504th anniversary of the Reformation. And you might think, well, that's an obscure date. But you go to any history department at any university in the entire world, and Martin Luther will be in the top five of most influential people on the planet ever. And it's not just because of theology. He basically dismantled, pulled the plug on the medieval world. And the modern world is the result of it. He changed, he created the whole idea of vocation, that what you do, no matter what it, what it is, even if it's not in a church, even if it's not spiritual, is still God's calling on your life. And it's just as important as being a pastor or a worship leader or anything else. And that was revolutionary, because back in the Middle Ages, there were the regular people, and then there were the religious. And the religious wore robes, stayed in, in uh, convents and, and monasteries and stuff like that. And if you wanted to take your faith seriously, you had to become one of those people. You had to give up the marketplace, you had to give up family, and you had to give up your freedom. You took a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And Martin Luther said, that's silly. So he left the monastery and uh, encouraged a nun to do the same. 
And they got married, had lots of kids, and he died a wealthy publisher and thumbed his nose at everybody else. And the rest of the world, the whole medieval world just collapsed at that point. And what we have in terms of democracy and universal education and literacy and all of those things that we have, not just theology, are because of Luther's stand in 1517 saying the medieval worldview has to go. And it did. And we are living as uh, beneficiaries of that. Well, what brought Martin Luther to want to reform the universe? Well, he, he was doing a deep study in the Apostle Paul, much like what we're doing right now. And that deep study of the Apostle Paul created such dissonance between what he saw in the Bible and what he saw in the world that he just said, this has to, we have to deal with this. We've drifted so far. We've drifted so far from what this ancient wisdom is saying that we need to recover some of this stuff. And he got serious about it. And he didn't care if people threatened him. He just could care less. He just basically did what he did and made it happen, made it stick. And we are the beneficiaries of that. So we're at 1 Timothy 3. And this is all about leadership and service. Make way for ducklings, following the leader. He says, Timothy, go in and be the, be the main duck and everybody will follow you. And here's how you're going to do it. It is so interesting that we're handling this chapter on leadership right when we're going through a leadership sea change at our church because we have on our trustee team we have terms of a couple years and three of our best leaders we've got uh, Kathy and we've got Stan and Deanna they're terming off in fact I think we kept them on a little bit longer than they were supposed to because of the pandemic we just sort of stuck it out but now that we've made it through all that it's time to let them uh, uh, cycle back into whatever they want to do and we are looking for new leaders. That being the case, isn't it interesting that this chapter came up right now? Because our last trustee meeting on Tuesday, some of you were there, we're talking about this leadership sea change. Isn't it fascinating how God times things? It's not like we picked this book of the Bible for this reason. So here it is. God's timing is always absolutely fantastic. The older I get, the less I see coincidences at all. I, I just see God in charge of all kinds of things. And his bandwidth is amazing that he can handle all of these things at once, all of these eventualities and all these different choices that billions of people are making. I find it absolutely fascinating. So let's look at 1 Timothy 3. First, he talks about people who are leaders. And then he talks about people who are helpers, kind of like the military. There's officers and enlisted people. And you got people who make decisions and plan and other people who carry it out. And in the church, there is no other role. There is no role for spectator. Uh, basically, it's up to us as disciples of Jesus, and we're all followers of Jesus, to find our way into one or another, to, to either become a helper or a decider leader. And America has turned Christianity into this sort of spectator thing where you go where there's the best show and the best teacher and the best youth group, and you know, there's there's... There's children's ministries here in California that are like downtown Disney. You drop your kid off through the mouth of uh, the lion in C.S. Lewis's book, and he goes down a slide and the whole thing. It's just, it's just it, it becomes very consumer-driven. But if you want to follow Jesus, it's not about wearing a bib. It's about wearing an apron. It's not about, am I getting fed? It's about, how am I serving? How am I leading? How am I doing one of those things? And so we're going to talk about what Paul said to Timothy 
about how to get leadership working better in Ephesus because it wasn't working. The leadership wasn't working. Leadership is hard. It's challenging to get it right. This country has been trying to get leadership right, the United States, for hundreds of years, and it's a challenge to get it right. Why can't we bring better people into service? Why are the brightest and best not doing these things? Those kind of questions. We, we have to deal with those every generation because every generation brings new giftings and new leadership. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is a trustworthy saying. If individuals aspire to be church leaders, they desire a beautiful thing. And we're going to talk about the definitions of that a little bit later. So a church leader must be one whose life is above reproach. The men must not have more than one wife. What is this telling us about the Ephesian church? Polygamy was happening. And that being the case, I don't know about you men, but having more than one wife would be very distracting. It, it, remembering all of the anniversaries and the birthdays and all this kind of stuff and making sure you treat them both. I can't even imagine how I would be a church leader if I was also polygamous. And it just the thought of it is just absolutely crazy. Besides, Wendy would kill the other wife. So we uh, just kill me. Okay. <laughs> so when he says the men, you know, you ought to have one wife. What he's saying is this is going on right now. And you probably have to weed those people out of leadership because they're too busy to do anything. They're too busy to get anything done. They've got this, you know, sister-wife family going on. They must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. They must enjoy having guests in their homes because if they're not hospitable people, they're not going to be open to new people to church either. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset of welcoming people into your home and welcoming people into the church. The same kind of person says, come on in, we can always make the soup a little, stretch the soup a little bit. The same kind of person is going to be the kind of person who's going to be welcoming the new people in church. So you've got to be a welcoming kind of person. If you ever go to the breezes for eating, they always have enough food, by the way. Just, just a little tip. They must not be drunkards nor violent. In other words, there were some drunkards and violent people on the leadership team, and this was causing problems, as you can imagine. People showing up drunk to meetings and you know, getting verbally or physically violent, that's just kind of a no-no. They must manage their own families well, having, this is really important, having young children who respect and obey. The Greek world had three age groups, zero through about 13, 14, you're a child, you're a child. 15 through 40, you're what they call the neonoskoi, the, the young people. So the minute you got to be 13, 14, you became an adult, and you were that, you're a young adult, you're about 40. And then you were a presbyteroi, you were one of the presbyteroi, a presbyteros after 40. And that's an elder. So there's three ages. We have, we have minors and adults in America, but that's not the way they did it. And they're not saying your, your young people, 15 through 40, have to be respectful because they're out of the house doing something else. And they're not saying that elders have to. Talk about your little, the kids who are living in your house, the children who are living in your house. This is really a children word. We use children, well, my child is 43. No, it's not a child in the sense that they were looking at it. So these are young kids living at home. If they're unruly and it's a mess, then you got problems. It's not talking about teenagers off the rails or 20-somethings trying to find themselves. It's talking about little kids. Otherwise, Billy Graham could have never been a leader because half his kids were off the rails at any given time. They all find their way back, but that's the way they were. Or how can those who can't manage their lives take care of God's church? If uh, people leading a church don't have their basic act together, 
then they can't really be examples because faith is much caught as taught. We've got uh, Phil Burtis, who's a member of our, our men's Bible study. In fact, he leads it when I'm not there. Phil Burtis got written up in the governor's volunteer thing, and he volunteers for all kinds of stuff in the community. And I helped him find a position at Concordia University as a computer science teacher. And they're so thrilled to have him there, not just for the computer science teaching, but because he's the kind of person that they want modeling to the tech kids. So they're not just into tech stuff, but he's, gonna, he's going to encourage them to be of service because that's his, what his whole life's about. It's a really good thing to model. Church leaders must not be new believers because they might become proud and the devil would cause them to fail. Now, it doesn't say people who serve in the church have to be far along the way, but people who lead in the church should have some experience with the church because they have to have seen a few things along the way to kind of know what to do. So church leaders must not be new believers. They might become proud and the devil would cause them to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of them so that they will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. So what's happening in Ephesus? There's people with bad reputations leading the church. And people say, why would I go to that church? Because the people leading it are nuts. So you, you see what's going on here. So let's look at what Paul's talking about in this list. He's talking about leaders, the people who make decisions, the people who plan things, the people who ask the Lord for vision and direction, and the people who decide things in the church. He uses the word episkopoi. Episkopoi which has been shortened in English to bishop, the same word, are people who are overseers. The Latin word is superintendent or supervisor, somebody who looks around and sees what's going on. You can't just have all workers running a place. You have to have some people organizing it, running the budgets, uh, working with customers, making sure that we're on track, those kind of things. And overseers, bishops or supervisors, episcopoi, Paul says in verse 1, it's a beautiful thing. Some translations say a worthy thing, but the word is kalos, which means it's a beautiful thing to seek after leadership, to go after that, to be a leader. There are male and female presbyters or elders, that's in Titus, and that's another thing. And the reason I want to bring this up is there's no exclusion of women here as leadership. We talked about that last week. It's not the main theme this week. Please go back and listen to last week's teaching. But Paul also writes to Titus, and he uses episcopoi. Presbyteroi, elders, and he also used diakonia, which means service. And they all flow together. There is no, at this point in the Bible's development, there is no set way to run a church. They basically adapt to the situation on the ground. If a church has five people in it, you're not going to have three committees. <laughs> and a lot of those churches were very, very small. So Titus was working with a one-team church. And Ephesus was a big, rich church, so, well, smaller than this one, but for them, for those days, big and rich. So you need at least a couple of teams to organize things. So it all depends on what he's looking at. So he's not giving us a job description for all eternity. He's giving us good advice for leadership. You understand the difference? Because he's adapting each one to wherever he goes. Doesn't do the same thing in different places. So here's the problems they're having in Ephesus. Bad reputations, this is among the leaders, polygamy, lack of hospitality, violent and angry drunks, that's no fun on a team, bad life skills, lack of experience, 
people who sort of cling on and uh, hang on. What I mean by that, a clinger, if you bring a person into leadership who's not mature in the faith, they tend to hang on to that position for dear life. It's the craziest thing. You can't get rid of them. Uh, they, they, they'll hang in there and they'll stick in there. I've seen this in churches before. And they, they don't want to lose that little bit of, of notoriety. They put it in their Christmas card and everything else, and it's kind of a big deal for them. They cling. You don't want clingy people there. You want people who can set, lay down their leadership and let someone else lead, especially letting younger people start to lead. Because I'm a baby boomer, and baby boomers are terrible at letting younger people lead. Uh, we're the worst generation ever as far as that goes, because we're hanging on. We're still the young ones, right? No, we're not. We're, we're getting the mail from AARP and everything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And we boomers, I'm not one of those people. I don't cling. But some people as boomers don't make room for younger people. And you got to do that. No teaching ability. People are getting up in front and boring people. So Paul says, make sure that they can teach. Make sure that they're able to get up in front and lead a discussion. Did you notice when Karen did her missions talk, it was very professional. Got up here and she's obviously able to do that, able to bring things across. So these are the problems in Ephesus which he's dealing with. So speed of the leaders, speed of the team. Paul says, make sure these are people that people want to be like. They want to be like them. I mean, if, if your pastor's a mess, why would you listen to what they have to say? Now, I think Robin Williams is a really funny guy. I like some of his humor. But every once in a while, I see a meme on, online about he'll give a little, a little thing about how he feels about what's important in life. I'm sorry, I'm not going to listen to Robin Williams when it comes to life because he killed himself. I mean, think about it. Do I still laugh at his humor? Sure I do. Was, I, do I think he's kind of a neat guy in some ways? I wouldn't let him watch the kids. But still, um, you don't want to take life advice from someone who threw his life away. And the same thing with the people who are teaching, leading worship. They got they don't have to be perfect, but they, they have to be lives where their finances are basically in order. You know, their their lives are basically in order, getting a B in everything at least. And so people can kind of follow it. That's what Paul's saying. Get some people in there that people will follow. The ducks will start to like. Have you ever heard the phrase "get their ducks in a row"? They'll they'll follow a duck that's living a somewhat normal. Folks, if your pastor's broke. Why should you listen to what they have to say about tithing? I mean, think about it. it that's, and that happens a lot. It happens a lot. You think, why should they be teaching on it? So there are three models of church leadership, and this is where it gets boring but really interesting. Now, that's a strange thing to say, but you're going you're gonna to have some aha moments here in a second because you're gonna, those of you who grew up in churches are going to see stuff. That's why they do it the way they do it. There's three models of church leadership in the world, all of them, are somewhat biblical. There is no one model in the Bible for church leadership. People have organized themselves three different ways all around the world. One is the Episcopal model. It has nothing to do with the Episcopal church. The Episcopal model is a church that is run by the overseers. The overseers are in charge. The pastor is in charge or an outside organization is in charge. Right across the patio is the Methodists. The Methodists are an Episcopal organization. In fact, you look at their, you look at their cornerstone over there from the last church, their old church, it says Methodist Episcopal Church. Episcopal Church means it's hierarchical, and the people at the top make the decisions, and the decisions flow down. It worked great when America was a frontier. 
The Methodists were the first to get to virtually every town in the West. They were the first ones in Huntington. All across the West, the oldest church is Methodist. Why? Because they have a, like a military thing where they orders come down. If you're a Methodist pastor, you sign on the line that you will go wherever they send you. You have no choice. The church has no choice. You have no choice. They send you where they send you. That worked great on the frontier. But then we settled the country. It turned into this big hierarchy. And now it's almost impossible to make a decision within the Methodist church because you've got this, this deployment hierarchy that's so le layered and leveled that the pastor even here, remember, remember when Anthony was here, just removing you. Off he goes. He has no choice. That's the way it works. They promise to take care of you your whole life, by the way. So there's a plus side to that. We'll pay your pension. We'll pay your health care. We'll take care of the rest of your life. But you got to go when we tell you to go. Works great on the frontier. Works great for church planting. Calvary Chapel does this. The pastor's in charge of everything. The pastor just makes the decisions, period, in Calvary Chapel. There's, there's really no discussing it. This is why there's Calvary Chapels all up and down the West Coast, because if you have one person in charge, you don't have to play Mother May I with a whole bunch of people. You just plant the church. you got a stool. you got a, you got an overhead. Uh, you got a microphone. you got a guitar. Let's do this. And it works. The problem is when it becomes institutionalized, it becomes very hierarchical. This happened to Calvary Chapel. It used to be the hippie church where everybody went and everything, you know, it was just free this and free that and everybody's welcome. And it's turned into one of the most rigid organizations there is. Over time, that tends to happen. The Roman Catholic Church is Episcopal in its understanding of how things happen. The orders come from the top, and they get implemented at the bottom. A real plus for starting churches, a real minus for maintaining them. Every one of these models has a plus side and a downside. The other downside is if the pastor's in charge and the pastor goes nuts, the church just falls apart. There's really no way to, to make that work. If that person has a big moral failure or something, it's just sort of over with, and those churches collapse quickly. So that's the first model. The second model is the one we do. We do a Presbyterian model. Presbyter is elder-led, team-led. The team leads the church. Why do we do it? Because I prefer it. I like it. And since I started the church, uh, I chose it. <laughs> I like teams. I, I, I don't trust myself to make big decisions without serious advice of people around me. I just don't. I like to get our team makes all the big decisions. And there's a lot of wisdom in a team, way more than in an individual. If you want to get in trouble, make a decision on your own or in a crowd. Teams are smart. Crowds are stupid. And so are individuals when they're by themselves. And so I want a really intelligent decision-making process for the big things. We don't decide every little thing. Kim picks the music. Nobody tells her what to, what to do. If Deanna's the treasurer wants to approve a, a, a budget thing that our bookkeeper gives, just approves it. It's, it's, it it's, I'm not talking every little thing, but I'm talking about the big decisions. Where are we going to meet? What are we going to do with COVID? Um, who are we going to bring into leadership? Those kind of questions, that's what the team does and we call the team here the trustees, it's very much a Presbyterian model. Um, Titus was given that. Uh, Apostle Paul gave Titus Presbyterian elder-led uh, model in the book of Titus. Presbyterians do it. The well does it. Most Reformed churches do it. The plus side of this is you get really intelligent decisions that are spread out in a team, and you really discuss the big decisions. 
The downside is it becomes clicky because that group is running everything. And so we always have to keep our group from getting clicky. So this is why I'd really like some brand new people to be on the team. If you don't keep bringing in people who aren't best friends of everybody, it gets clicky. And then people on the outside aren't part of the decision-making. And so we need to bring fresh blood in on a regular basis to keep it, to keep it from turning into a, like a groupy, groupy thing. Inside jokes, all that stuff. You know, you got to bring new people in. Congregational. If you're Lutheran or Baptist, you grew up with this. The congregational vote is everything. People who are crabby and show up twice a year and get to vote at the meeting because they're a member have just as much say as the pastor, legally. And I've seen some of the worst behavior in my life at some of these meetings. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've seen church presidents getting ripped apart by the congregation. And these are people who are volunteers. I mean, just absolutely shredded in front of everybody. Because you get a few crabby people and you know what happens. This is what happened when we were up in Westminster with our sister congregation, which I won't mention. And a couple of their congregational meetings got out of hand. And the pastor said, I'm done with you guys. I can't work with you. Because it was mob rule in some of these things. It just got crazy. So why do Baptists and Lutherans have congregational meetings? Why? Because their strong points in the country are in deeply rural areas. Where are all the Lutherans? The upper Midwest. Where are all the Baptists? Deep South. Those are areas with tons of small towns. They couldn't get pastors all the time. They had to bring the whole congregation together on a regular basis to make sure all the bases got covered. My parents grew up Lutheran in Ketchikan, Alaska, out in the middle of nowhere. They went years without pastors from time to time. One of my grandpas led the music, and the other grandpa did the teaching because he was the school superintendent in town. They did it for years because they could get a pastor up there. And to this day, in the deep south, in the upper Midwest, it's hard to get a pastor in these little white churches with pointy windows. It's hard to do because they can't afford a pastor. They can't afford a professional educated pastor for long. They stay three years. They realize they can't live there. They leave. So they need a congregational model to make sure, let's get together. doesn't look like we're going to get a pastor. Who's going to lead the singing? Who's, every, it's, it's really good for getting everybody to participate. It's really bad for getting any real decision or vision or anything going because one crabby person can stop anything. And so there's pluses and minuses with all of these models. One of the things I do is I go around to churches, I've done this before, and I charge them for rewriting their bylaws. And Lutherans and Baptists especially, they say, we don't have to have a commercial meeting? No, you don't. There's nowhere in the Bible, that says, there's no votes in the New Testament at all. They'd rather cast lots than vote. You know, it's, it, it's not something you have to, it's not in there. You can have them if you want to, but it's really better for churches that can't afford a pastor. It really is. It works better that way. I said, really? Yeah. But the Constitution in Lutheran denominations says you have to have a congregational meeting. And so that's the, they're just so wired that way, they can't really see it any other way. And they get stuck on it. So that's, that's the way they do it. And these are the three different models. How many of you, now looking back at your church experience, think, oh, that's why they did what they did? It, that's, that's pretty much the way it works. And so you can kind of see how these things happen and how they work and how they don't work. So, moving on. That's leadership. Now we're going to move on to diaconia, which is service. 
called deacons in English, diaconia in Greek, helpers or service. The people who get things done and make things happen. The people who set up chairs, make coffee, uh, greet the people, fold the bulletins, that kind of stuff. Service. Not making decisions, but helping things happen. I look at uh, Ben and Andrew. Ben and Andrew are outstanding in this way. They're actually deacons in the biblical sense of the word. They show up, they help out with the drums, the music, the internet. Andrew's back there at the desk right now. Every time I show, nobody has to tell Andrew, but he puts the signs out because he understands that mentality of service. He gets it. And what's the main quality for people who are of service? Dependability. That's the number one. Number one, you've got to show up and be there and take care of it. You don't call the pastor at 9.30 in the morning and say, I can't make it. Can you find somebody? You, you find someone yourself or you, you, you show up. You get it done. You, know, you, you get the things done. But what does he say there? Verses 8 through 15. The same way helpers, deacons, must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be, and this is the, he actually uses the word in Greek, winos, which I think is funny, <laughs> must not be winos or dishonest with money. So there are obviously some winos going to the church in Ephesus. It's a hilarious word in Greek. And so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually knew people like that in Chicago, but that's a whole other thing. But uh, they must not be winos or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. They've got to be spiritual people. Just because they're doing service-oriented stuff doesn't mean they shouldn't be spiritual. Philip the deacon. The deacons got started in the book of Acts. And Philip was told, you need to wait on tables because the apostles are too busy. He says, okay, I'll do that. So Philip ends up baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch in that story, and he led him to faith. I mean, Deacons can do big stuff too. Stephen, the deacon, he was told, wait on tables and make sure that the, the food service works well. <coughs> Best preacher in the book of Acts. They killed him for it at the end. The bad people did. But still, it was a great sermon. No better way to go out for a preacher than preach the best sermon in the whole book of the Bible and get stoned. You know, it's, just, it's about as good as it gets. You, just, you, go, out on a, you go out with a bang, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And for those of you from California, stone does not mean marijuana. Stone means they throw rocks at you. Just, just, just want to let you know. So people who are also spiritual, these deacons could also lead people to faith and preach if they needed to because they had giftings and they were able to do these things. These are all flexible things. People in the service can also do the big spiritual stuff from time to time. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. Be a little careful about who volunteers. In the same way, the women, deaconesses, must be respected and must not slander others. In other words, there were people slandering, women were slandering other people. I'm sure you've never seen that before. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. The men, deacons, must be faithful to their wives, also an ongoing problem in Ephesus. There were some people who were serving who weren't faithful to their ladies and must manage their children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So here Paul lays out supervisors or 
uh, in Greek, episkopoi, episkopos, and those are the people who decide. He has diakonia, which is service, the, the, the world of service, of helping out, of making things happen, and basically saying everybody should find a spot into one of those two in the Church of Ephesus. Are you better at serving? Are you better at leading? And maybe you want to take a season at both. If you're just getting started as a Christian, the service thing is the way to go. Then you kind of get used to how things are going and you get a feel for what's happening in the church. So, diakonia, what kind of problems were they facing? Sketchy reputations, winos and embezzlers, lack of spiritual mindset, no guidelines. And the main guideline is dependability. That's the big test. Can you show up on a regular basis and you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Backbiting women, absent dads, and philanderers. We can tell that that's the case because that's what he's talking about. That's what he's saying, don't be like that. And he wouldn't bother saying don't be like that if there weren't people being like that. So we get a sense of what was happening. So at the well, we're going through a shift, which is a great opportunity for some of you in our leadership since we have three people terming off after long, long uh, stints in their position. We need a vice president. A vice president is somebody, according to our bylaws, and we don't have a constitution. You don't need a constitution as a church. A constitution is not like a country. A constitution is a contract you make with your denomination. This is what happens if, you know, this is how our relationship works. It's a contract. It's a prenup, basically, with your, with your denomination. We don't have one because we're an independent, legally congregation. We fellowship with Foursquare with Lutheran Curcio, with ARC, um, with the Alpha Course, people like that, but those are all relational, not legal. So we don't need a constitution. According to American law, if you're a church, you have to have bylaws. So we have bylaws. And our bylaws say that the vice president is in charge of the corporation here, this church corporation, should, God forbid, I get hit by a truck. It's really important to have a succession plan. Who here saw what the Crystal Cathedral did when they didn't have a clear succession plan? Unbelievable what can happen in 15 years. Just, it never really happened well. And it's such a shame to see that. It's going to happen again at Saddleback. Rick Warren didn't train up an apprentice. And he's a force of nature, for goodness sake. And he's retiring, and they're doing a national search. And, oh boy. And they have congregational meetings, too, but that's a whole other thing because they're Baptists. But anyways, it's, it's, it's going to be messy because you have to have a succession plan. This is why the U.S. presidency and the papacy, the pope, has worked so well is there's a clear succession plan. The president gets shot. This person's in charge right now. And the vice president of the church, that's basically his or her only main job is to be willing to run the corporation and work with Tamara and Kim, the pastoral team, to figure out what the next steps are. That's important to have. A secretary, we need someone to take the minutes. And my father-in-law always said the secretary is the most important position, most powerful position in any organization because you get to interpret how things get written down. The, the founding fathers knew that. Uh, the people who filled that role at the constitutional conventions back in the day are the ones who really shaped the country. And so uh, if you're looking for that, anyways, you just want to take notes, it can be that too. Secretary, treasurer, Treasurer is somebody who oversees our um, bookkeeper. Shelly uh, Lean is our bookkeeper. 
paid professional bookkeeper and somebody who oversees that and signs certain things, approves certain things. Deanna has been our treasurer. And the treasurer is no longer really in charge much of counting money because virtually well, three-fourths of the church gives online or other ways anyways. Like there isn't that much counting to do anymore. There's just a handful of envelopes on Sunday that we count and organize. So just make sure that happens too. So the treasurer, secretary, vice president, we're also starting a new we're starting a new role as we're creating a pastoral position to our global church. We have a lot of people who contribute a lot to this church and watch us online, and they're all over the place. And we need someone to shepherd them, someone to pastor them. And that's going to be a, a trial thing for about three months. It'll be paid some, but not a lot, just to see how it works. But we have to take care of this big congregation that's out there because this church is a lot bigger than it looks like when you're here on Sunday morning. And we want to make sure that those people get prayer, get, uh, get pastoral guidance, get those kinds of things, and somebody to connect them with us. We want someone to be a prayer trustee for our Canadian church, somebody who wants to go on their meetings and on a regular basis pray with them. And they would like to have somebody from outside their area on the team. And that might be a really fun thing to do. They've got monthly meetings and uh, be a way to keep our churches connected. So if you want to be a leader, contact me or Tamara and apply. Uh, it's, people give their applications and we will pray over them as a team and we'll see what the Lord tells us. And we would be glad to uh, have you on our leadership team. Isn't it interesting how 1 Timothy 3 happens right at the time we're doing this? Our diaconate. Diaconia. Some of these things are informal, but these are some service roles we'd like to see filled. Somebody to come up with those little monthly prayer focus cards. And you just have to come up with 12 of those a year. Just ask the Lord what should be our theme for this month, put it on there, and uh, have our publisher, which is Judy Jordan, put that together and uh, make that work. Correspondence, someone to write to people to make sure they're okay, uh, send notes, uh, get well cards, somebody who's kind of sociable in a sort of writing sort of way, somebody to uh, manage Instagram and social media, worship pastor helpers, tech and musicians, somebody to help Kim, hospitality and greeting, people greeting people on the way in and making sure everybody feels welcome and nobody's standing by themselves eating a donut outside afterwards, counting the offering. We only get a handful of checks on Sundays because most people wire those in but somebody to help the treasurer get that done. Helping Amy with Next Generation. We're starting to get kids in the church again. and We'd love to develop a, a Next Generation ministry of some kind. And so helping Amy do that. She's out there with them right now. And if you're one of those people, talk to Linda Hines. Her email is right there. She's in charge of our diaconate, the people who serve. And so she will be the person to talk to, and she would love to. You would love to put people to work, wouldn't you, Linda? Okay. <laughs> Talk to Linda. I'm going to invite the worship team up. So we're going to pray, though, for your next step. What is your next step here at the well? And those of you watching on TV, too, some of these things can be done virtually and from a distance. So let us know if you want to be one of those people. If you're living in Wisconsin or Missouri or whatever, that's just fine. We'd love to have you on our team. So we're going to pray right now for our next step what our next step is. Is our next step leadership? Is it service? How can we help? Remember, there's no third spot for just consumer. Uh, you're going to get a whole lot more out of this, this experience of being a Christian, if you're one or the other. 
if you're either serving or if you're leading and making decisions. So we'd love to have you do that. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for Martin Luther, who 504 years ago changed the world by questioning how leadership should happen and questioning the roles people had and the, the games they were playing at the time. And Paul was kind of doing the same thing with the church in Ephesus through Timothy. He was saying, hey, uh, let's tighten up the leadership thing here. Let's, let's be a little bit more intentional about it. Let's, uh, let's get people working together in a way that helps the church move forward. I just want to pray for each and every man and woman here, Lord. I just pray that you would speak to each of us. We're going to just take some time in silence. And I pray, Lord, that you would show each person what you would call each and every person to do. We call that vocation or calling, but the calling comes from you. And some people in the next minute or so are going to be really surprised by what you say to them. And that's kind of the way it is with calling. And I pray, Lord, that uh, that we would all open our ears and be receptive to what you would have us do. Lord, helping lead and serve this church is so much fun. And we want to share that fun with everybody and the joy that comes from serving. Lord, uh, true happiness, psychologists tell us, doesn't come from being entertained all day and having exactly what we want. True, lasting happiness <coughs> comes from taking responsibility and stepping up and caring for other people and serving them. And the happiest people are people who know that. We give you thanks especially for those people with a gift of serving through giving, Lord. It's been a fantastic year here at the church, and we just give you thanks for the people with a gift of generosity. For some people, that's their, their main service gift. We give you thanks for, for them for making all of this possible. So, Lord, we're just going to be quiet for a minute or so and just have you speak to us because we you've always got more talk than we've got listen. And Lord, it's one thing to hear from you, and it's another thing to act on it. So we pray that you would give us the, the courage to act on the promptings that you give us. And if we're not picking up anything, Lord, in particular, we pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us as the day goes on. Give you thanks for this wonderful congregation, Lord. It's so much fun to be a part of the well. And Lord, uh, as one of its leaders, I've, it's, been, it's been an amazing, amazing time. And I just give you thanks for that. But I want to share that with a lot of people here. So we pray, Lord, that you would guide us. And hear us now as we close with singing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand for our closing song.
Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. Higher than my sight. Higher above my life. I will trust in you alone. In you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. When you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I will follow you. Light into the world, light into life. I will live for you alone. You're the one I seek, knowing I will find all I need in you alone. In you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. When you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. When you love, I'll love. Now you serve, I'll serve. Take this life I lose. I will follow you. I will follow you. Oh, I will follow you. In you, this life everlasting. In you, there's freedom for my soul. In you, there's joy, unending joy. In you, there's life everlasting. In you, there's freedom for my soul. In you, there's joy, unending joy. I will follow you where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. When you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. You love, I love. Now you serve, I'll serve. Just like I do. I will follow you. Oh, I will follow you. Oh, I will follow you.
So there then. Okay, let's uh, let's go out and have some food. Uh, make sure we only have one rule at this church is the food has to be eaten up. So go out there and grab something to eat and talk to some people you don't know that well and get to know them. This is a family after all, and you just got to meet your family members. And we're meeting at the Beach Hut Deli, was it? Yes. Okay. Beach and Garfield. Sounds good. Okay, you're all welcome to come to that too. So if you eat a lot here, then you don't have to spend as much there at lunch. So that'll work just fine. We'll see you there.